The year is 1965. The average movie ticket costs $1.01. Race riots break out in Watts, California. The Voting Rights Act becomes law. Malcolm X is assassinated. NASA's Mariner 4 flies by Mars. And Muhammad Ali defeats Sonny Liston. The hot movies of the year include Help, Dr. Zhivago, Thunderball, The Sound of Music, For a Few Dollars More, and today's film, A Patch of Blue. The hot albums of the year include Help, Rubber Soul, Bringing It All Back Home, My, My Generation, Out of Our Heads, The Beach Boys Today, and today's album, Highway 61 Revisited. So, Dad, who made this album? What's it about? Thank you, Simon. Uh, this album is by the great Bob Dylan. Uh, and uh, this album was actually released on August 30th, 1965. And this was the album where Dylan infamously went electric. There's only one song, the song Desolation Row, on the album that is acoustic. And this has been argued by many that the quote-unquote 60s started with this album. Uh, the title, Highway 61, uh, can, uh, is an allusion to Bob Dylan's home of Duluth, Minnesota, because uh, Highway 61 travels all the way from Duluth, Minnesota, all the way down to the southern cities that are important in the development of the blues. Uh, it peaked at number three on the charts in the U.S., Rolling Stone magazine ranks the album number four on its list of top 500 albums of all time. Uh, the song, Like a Rolling Stone, is ranked as the number one song of all time by Rolling Stone. Uh, and the album was well received, uh, although uh, many reviewers seemed puzzled by it. Uh, the melody maker wrote, It is fairly incomprehensible, but an absolute knockout. Uh, which I think, uh, well, I'm sure we'll get into the lyrics quite a bit. Um, this is a complete 180 from the last album that we reviewed, which was Miles Davis, an album instrumental, no lyrics. This uh, album is obviously Bob Dylan, all about the lyrics, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into. So now, but let's start with the album cover. Yeah. Um, um, I don't know if you want to kind of describe what it looks like. Um. Well, it's a it's a picture of Bob Dylan. Uh, he's he's looking very Bob Dylan-y uh, to me with the big hair. Um, he's kind of scowling almost. Yeah. Uh, he look he has the, he has an edge, I think. Um, he, it's very colorful. So I, like it's it's very rich in color. So that was interesting. Um, has a very thick white border. Yeah, it almost kind of reminds me of a of a Polaroid. Yeah. Although it doesn't have the same tone of a Polaroid, but that thick white border kind of reminds me of a Polaroid. Um, to me, it kind of looks like a candid shot, almost like someone was like, "Hey, Bob, I'm going to take your picture," and then he kind of glared at him. <laughs> he kind of <laughs> gave the the stink eye to him. Yeah. Because uh, he's looking right at the camera, kind of kind of a challenging look. Um, I did notice that he's wearing a Triumph motorcycle T-shirt, uh, and this, um, 
photo was taken, I guess, I think very soon before he had a motorcycle accident riding his Triumph that almost killed him and kind of put him out of commission for a while. I mean, it's a it's interesting photo, but also not that interesting. Like, it, it's interesting, and I think it portrays him well, but... Um yeah, I mean, I don't know if it really has. It's all about the attitude, I guess. I did read somewhere that there's a guy standing in the background. You only see him from the waist down, and he's dangling a camera. And I read somewhere, I think, that the photographer just asked this person to stand there kind of more for visual uh, mm-hmm. contrast to Dylan, maybe to give some scale to. Um, but, I mean, it's fine. It's a fine album. It's obviously not as iconic as the. Uh, the Dylan album with him walking down the street with the girl, yeah, you know, grabbing his arm—that kind of James Deanish look. Uh, but I—it's obvious you can tell right away it's Bob Dylan on the on the photo. I don't know if you have anything more to say about. No, it. I mean, no, it's it's nice. So should we just jump in? Yeah, sure. So the album kicks off with pro- probably Bob Dylan's most uh, well-known song. Like a Rolling Stone, which I know we've had discussions in the past of albums kicking off with what people consider to be the best song or the peak song. I don't know whether that's true on this album or not, but it's obviously the best known song. And as I mentioned at the beginning, Rolling Stone ranks at number one as the greatest song ever written. Uh, I do have a few notes about this. Uh, Dylan started his quote-unquote never-ending tour in 1988. So he started a tour where he just toured for decades, never stopped. And during that tour, he performed this song more than 2,000 times. But when we saw Bob Dylan a few months ago, he didn't play it. <laughs> yeah, he. I can see why he wouldn't want to play it. He's sick of it maybe now. Um, maybe. After playing it more than two thousand times, and that was that was back, you know, in the eighties and the nineties. So yeah, he's probably tired of it. Um, yeah, but for the song, like what you said, I like what previously we talked about with "Bridge Over Troubled Water," um, and I that's the first note that I wrote down was um, I don't know about starting the album with the best song because we've had talked about that with that album in particular and i think it is kind of true for this one yeah i mean this is the best song on the album in my opinion i think it might have been a good side one closer um you know as we get into some of the other songs and how the album actually does end uh but it does kind of kick off the album and you're oh okay i've heard the best song uh there are other great songs on the on this but i have this one written down that this is probably one of his best melodies. No, you don't seem so proud about having to be scrounging your next meal. How does it feel? How does it feel to be without? Complete unknown, like a rolling stone. 
And I think that's what's in common with his best songs to me is that his best songs are best musically, right? Um, or at least a best. Uh, it's a combination of his really good lyrics and musically a good melody. And I got this is kind of a sing along song. It's easy yeah. to sing along with this song. It's not easy to sing along with a lot of his other songs. Um, but I mean, there's it's obvious why. A million people have, have written about this song. Uh, I, I I don't probably have much to add to it uh, to the conversation other than. It is a fantastic song, uh, and with a lot of, like a lot of Dylan songs, it's about the rhythm and the lyrics. To me, his lyrics don't always have meaning, but this is probably a song where you could you could interpret yeah. the meaning a little easier than many of his other songs. I think it definitely, I think the lyrics definitely make sense, and I wrote that down. I guess that's a notable for Dylan is the lyrics make sense. I think, <laughs> I mean, it's a, I think it does have a, a fairly clear story about a certain character, um, which some of the other songs aren't as clear or they maybe don't have a meaning at all. Um, and also, I believe, with the Rolling Stone thing, I believe uh, it was number one. I don't... I believe they updated did they, did they it, up, is it. And it's now, like, number four. Um, oh, because what went to number one? I think I think in there, the updated Respect was number one. Um, or whatever, but on, either think, way, yeah. it's obviously very high. Yeah, it's uh, it's historically very very high. Which is interesting. Is I mean, it's so hard to to say that a movie is the greatest or a, a song is the greatest song. Right. Um, I mean, it's very hard to compare this song to the song "Respect" by Aretha Franklin. Very different types of songs. Um, but I I do I'm going to touch on the lyrics just a tiny bit, just because I. I think one of the great things Dylan does is he rhymes things in unusual manners. Yeah. So I've got, um, he's got this line, but you know you only used to get juiced in it. And then he rhymes that with, and now you're going to have to get used to it. So yeah. it's not exactly a rhyme, but the way he sings it and the yeah. way it goes with the melody, your brain turns it into a rhyme. Yeah, and I think he said he rhymes "kid" and "you" with "didn't you." Yeah, and I mean, and I think it's like I think of Dylan as a poet first, and a musician second. Um, even though he's more known as a musician, I guess. Um, but it's he's like obviously I think more of a poet. Like he's some that he just felt like he wanted to write. A poem, and it was like, yeah. Now he's putting it to music, and I feel like I vaguely remember even reading something about in the build-up to this album that he just had page after page after page of lyrics that he had written with no music in mind, and then said, "Okay, I'm going to turn this into an album," um, and then obviously brought in yeah. the electric component. And this song, this song does to me kind of set the template for the whole album because you have that kind of what I think of as the typical Dylan sound. You've got that the organ, you've mm. got the tambourine, you got kind of the jangly guitar. Obviously, you've got the rhythm of the drums. You know that kind of sound quality that goes through probably the next three or four albums of his, Blonde on Blonde and etc where it just has that classic Dylan sound. 
And his voice. And his voice, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> his voice is very Dylan-y uh, in this. Uh, yeah, I, but I, I think the music is still good. Like, I think, the, I think the musicians that are playing on the album are really good. Yeah, and I think, um, I mean, we kind of talked about this when, when we saw Dylan. Yeah. He obviously can get the best musicians and kind of let them do their thing. And then he kind of just sings along with them. I think you're right. And there's a number of points in the in this album that I go through, and I think I really kind of honed in on some of the musicianship of the guitar or the organ or whatever. But I think in general, people would say it's all about the lyrics. Yeah, I, I mean, I think we'll get more into that as we go. So I, I think we should just move on. So song number two um, is called Tombstone Blues. I've got this as kind of a blues rock song, and the guitar really does take center stage at the be- uh, in this musically. And I, I meant put down that I really like the way the guitar kind of rides in the background constantly and then kind of jumps out, and you'll get little solos, little flourishes. The ghost of Bell Star, she hands down her wits to Jezebel and Nun, she violently knits. A bald wig for Jack the Ripper Who sits at the head of the Chamber of Commerce Mama's in a factory, she ain't got no shoes Daddy's in the alley, he's looking for food I'm in the kitchen where the tombstone blues The hysterical bride I'm not sure what the lyrics mean in this one. Yeah, for this, I described it as the most Dylan song ever. <laughs> Indecipherable lyrics and nasally voice. Yeah. it. I don't know if the lyrics mean anything. I don't think they do. Um, even trying to, like, I, I, I think I, I, like, looked up some stuff about, like, what it means, and I think most people are like, it doesn't. Doesn't they, they Does don't it, know what it means? They don't know what it means, or it doesn't really mean anything. And like in particular, I wrote down, you know, is this a nonsense poem? Um, that is a type of poem. I don't know if it's as. I mean, there are there's imagery that's vivid. I, I put down these two lines: "Stop all this weeping and swallow your pride. You will not die. It's not poison." Or the geometry of innocence, flesh on the bone causes Galileo's math book to be thrown. I mean, does that mean anything? I don't no. know. But it's very vivid in its, in its imagery. imagery. Yeah. Um, and I, that is something I noticed throughout the album, too. He uses a lot of historical names. Yeah. I, I noted that way later in the album, but he, li- he, he references a lot of things, um, whether real people... Or fictional people, right? Or biblical, biblical people, um, but, and I think that's interesting. At least it makes it sound deep. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I think so, a lot of it is deep. But maybe, I mean, I I'm sure that w- as he was writing these lyrics, he spent a lot of time on the rhythm, the the words, and the imagery, and he didn't just pick Galileo out of the blue. I'm sure yeah. in his mind, okay, this means something, but it's very opaque to the rest of us. We're not really sure. But maybe that's what makes it great. A lot of great songs, you just interpret it yourself, and you say, 
oh, this means this to me, and therefore it's meaningful. Someone else could hear it, and they'd be like, no, it means this to me, to them, and it's meaningful to them. And, and yeah. maybe that vagueness is part of his art. Yeah, and I think when I, when I said the most Dylan song ever, I think I really mean the stereotypically the yeah, most Dylan song Yeah, right. Ever. I don't – that is the stereotype is that his lyrics don't make sense, and he's not a very good singer. Right. And whatever, but I – I don't think it's bad. Like, I, I don't take away from it for not making sense. I I mean, poetry is poetry. And... Right. Well, and that's where I do think these the lyrics are meant to be said out loud. Uh, yeah, they to me. sound good. You know, they sound, it's, there's that rhythm and you get into the rhythm and again, the way he rhymes things and, and you know, the way he sings and the way he stretches those long, those last couple syllables out in almost yeah. every song. Uh, I, I've got this kind of has a little bit more of a loose feel to it. Uh, again, not not re- I don't know, kind of a loosey goosey ragged feel. Like I'm not really sure if I'm describing that right. Mm-hmm. Would have been a great song to see live. Yeah, <laughs> again, yeah. You know, to see the musicians really getting into it and and him, you know, getting into the the rhythm of the song. But uh, uh, it, it's it's one I do really like this song quite a bit. Uh, it it I think it follows well from, uh, uh, like a Rolling Stone, and yeah. it has a little different feel than like a Rolling Stone. There's there's one lyric that I wrote down that I thought was good. It was, "The sun's not yellow, it's chicken." <laughs> yeah, and I heard I that, remember that. I was too. like, I don't know what that means. Is he trying to say like the color of a chicken? Well, you know, there's the old Western. In the old westerns, they used to say you're yellow, meaning you're a, you're you know you're a coward. I so guess. So I I think he's playing oh, okay. off of the that old western movie idiom okay. of you calling someone yellow if they're a coward. Why he's calling the, the, sun, the a sun a coward? I don't know. I but don't know. I, I guess with that in mind, I'd have to go back and. Yeah, I don't. I remember the line, but I don't remember the build up to that particular line. Uh, but I that it, again that that lets you maybe see some of his references, you know, because you know his age, growing up, he probably watched a lot of westerns. Yeah, you know, he obviously was into the blues and American folk music and stuff, and he's just throwing all of these things, and he's obviously well read. Uh, yeah, know. so you know, throwing in That's... these these other re- historical references. I think that's, I mean, that's what's good about poetry and what's fun. Like, I haven't written a lot of poetry, but when you do, when I when I have, it's it's that's kind of happened where, like, I will reference something very specific that I know, and most people don't get that reference. Yeah. And it's so specific that it means something to me, but to a lot of people, it would mean something else, or it doesn't mean anything. Well, and I think a lot of times it's that specificity that um, kind of draws you in, too. You know, to say something like, the sun's not yellow, it's chicken, I mean, you immediately notice it. And even if you don't know what it means, it stands out as like, well, that's an interesting thing to say. Yeah. Uh, you know? What does that mean? <laughs> right. Um, so, again, good song. Uh, from there we move into It Takes a Lot to Laugh, It Takes a Train to Cry, which I like the title of that. Um, it just makes me think of people leaving 
and you know maybe you're crying because someone's getting on a train and leaving mm-hmm. and i know there are there's a long history of blues songs uh, about trains and using trains as a metaphor and then he plays a harmonica which is really highlighted which i know in the blues a lot of times they mimic the train whistle with the harmonica too that i mean yeah it's blues i didn't write a lot for this i wrote that it was blues um i didn't think about the train i guess i'd never uh thought about the train being a, a prolific metaphor but it definitely yeah <laughs> makes sense um and i just wrote, i mean it has a nice lazy groove is what i yeah i I've, I've got that too i like the little piano flourishes that pop in and out um i've got that it's kind of a series of build-ups rhythmically things build up and then they kind of they kind of it's kind of cyclical, which I think is true of a lot of his songs, where you get this series of rhythms over so many verses, and then it kind of starts over again. But this is very Dylan-esque. This is a very Dylan song. I think every song on this album is. Um, and it's kind of that, kind of, again, I, I hate to go back to something that no one has heard that's listening to this, of us seeing Dylan live, but that kind of Americana feel, that kind of old blues, jazz kind of vibe. That's what this song gave yeah. me. And, yeah, I, d- I didn't want to... I wrote that later where I was like, a lot of these songs, I was like, he still writes songs like this. Yeah, he still we, writes songs we, like When this. we went to see him, the songs are just exactly like this, pretty much. It has the groove, has his lyrics that are kind of yeah weird or po- poetic, and that's it. And the music's really good, but it's, a, you know, it's that kind of groove. It's and a I, groove, yeah. And I can see why people would think he's samey, I think this album gets that gets Sammy. I agree. Uh, There's some songs on here as well, and we'll get to them. Where I'm like, I don't know, the album is a little too long for me at times, or some of the songs are a little too long. A lot of the songs I think are a little too long. Yeah, I mean, where, I don't know if these songs needed to be really six minutes long. Yeah, like almost every one is yeah. like six minutes, over six minutes. We'll get to the last one, <laughs> right. which is <laughs> really long, but yeah. Uh, but then we move from that song to a ne- the next one's called From a Buick Six. Um, this is a shorter song. Again, to me, with talking about a Buick, it's travel. Maybe it's that whole Highway 61 driving down the road thing. It immediately struck me as kind of the old Bo Diddley rhythm, and he even name drops Bo Diddley in this song. Um, so it to me it's kind of an homage, his homage to that Bo Diddley early early rock sound. I don't have a whole lot more to say about. Um, I, 
I I like the the lyric where he describes someone as a junkyard angel. Oh, uh, I yeah. thought that was just a really nice description. Um, I thought that was really nice. But other than yeah, it's like it's I I liked it. I thought it's a more jaunty blues. Um, and that junkyard angel thing goes back to the cars, you know, the junkyard, obviously, where a lot of people with cars being junk. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's a kind of a traveling, a road trip song, maybe. Yeah. In the in the Highway 61, I, I think I read somewhere that they're like Highway 61. It, it's a metaphor for all the drama of man or something <laughs> like because of all the, re- I'm assuming because of all the references he makes of maybe, oh, maybe. Of historical yeah. events and biblical events and stuff, and that it's this like culmination of it. Kind of made the the theme. You know, there's trains traveling, the car. There's obviously the blues and this thing about traveling to the or going to the south, where a lot of the blues began. It kind of reminded me of um, uh, Graceland. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it, it's I kind mean, of a pilgrimage. Yeah, whereas Grace, I could see where Graceland maybe would have been influenced by this. Yeah, obviously Paul Simon being a contemporary of Dylan's, uh, where you know maybe that it has that same kind of thing that pilgrimage to the south, uh, yeah, type of vibe. Although um, I think Graceland is a better song <laughs> than this one specifically. Than like, this one specifically, okay. or even the one before that, or the one about the train. Yeah, uh, I mean, we can't. We and talking about highway. I mean, I'm, I'm really talking about the whole album. I, yeah. I think the whole album goes with that thing. I, I definitely know this one was shorter. It's three minutes, and yeah, twenty seconds only, um, which is nice. Um, and I, I think I, I just wrote about his voice. I was like, his voice. This one, because I I thought I felt this one was really very Dylan-y sounding voice, um, which he, it's true that no one can sing like Dylan. <laughs> right. Um, it's it is such an iconic voice, and yeah, it's he's not the be- he's not the best singer, but how, like when you're in the mood, I think right it it, it fits. I mean, I think when y- you can't really be thinking. Oh, Dylan's not classically a great singer. No, he's not. But his voice fits the feel and the vibe of these songs as they're recorded and the lyrics too. I mean, I can't believe none we neither one of us has done a Dylan impression yet throughout this <laughs> uh, during this the podcast, but uh, I mean that's what happens typically if like a Rolling Stone comes on the radio and you start singing along, you don't sing in your own voice. You subconsciously you get subconsciously nasally. You subconsciously become Dylan and, and sing like him. And I that that to me is a representation that the songs were he, – he sang them right. He, you know, there's the – Yeah. Sang the way they should have been sung. I mean, there are obviously great examples of covers – yeah, you know that people say, well, they're better than the original. You know, the obviously the, the, the uh, all along the Watchtower, yeah. Jimi Hendrix, which is just a completely different ver- take on the song. Um, uh, and and I don't know whether you would say, oh well, he's a better singer than than Dylan because you listen to the re- the original version and it sounds great, Dylan-y. Yeah, it 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 feels more like a poem. Yeah, which I think I think. You know that you know Dylan isn't a good singer, 
but what they say, but no one can sing. <laughs> yeah, Dylan. I mean, songs. you could but, you could imagine Dylan just doing a, a poetry reading. Yeah, and, and I, he probably would do it exactly the same way he does yeah. when he sings. I think he maybe it's what people take him more seriously. I mean, I I ju- recently read in this uh, David Byrne uh, Talking Heads quote where he said because he's kind of also classically not a great singer. Right. And he said the harder, uh, the better you are of a singer, the harder it is for people to uh, to listen to you, to, to, to believe what you're saying. To take um, your to lyrics take, seriously. To take your lyrics seriously. And maybe he's Maybe, maybe he's, he's right. right. Uh, you know, let's, uh, the other day we, we were watching videos of Tom Jones. And you know he's yeah. a great singer, but a lot. But maybe you, if he, maybe you don't take him seriously. Maybe it's part of the songs that he sings, you know. But uh, at the same time, you know, if he was singing like a Rolling Stone, would you really take it as seriously? I mean, like you don't. Like maybe it's kind of like they're not as good singers, so they have to make up for it lyrically. Lyrically, uh, or you don't pay attention to lyrics as much if they're if they're a really good singer. Um, I, I don't know, uh, but uh, and I think uh, well, David Burns a good comparison because I think they both also, at least at one point, I think were considered great showmen too. I mean, Dylan now obviously he's in his eighties, he's he can't get out and dance and whatever. But I know, or in the sixties, in the seventies, in the eighties, he was considered a pretty good showman. David Byrne, same thing. So the combination of lyrics and being very charismatic on stage, um, I think it's the, the full package. I, 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 I think it's kind of silly to get into the debate about whether or not Dylan's a good singer or not. Yeah. His, his voice fits his songs. So from, um, f- uh, from the, that song, we move into Ballad of a Thin Man, and both the title and the vibe of the song made me think of film noir. Um, and okay. it's interesting because I recently watched that movie, Nightmare Alley, mm-hmm. which was a remake of an mm-hmm. old film noir. And the only reason that I understood some of the lyrics of this song was because I had watched that movie. Uh, you know, in, in the um, in the song, they reference uh, what they call "quote unquote" the geek, uh, and different sideshow acts, sword swallowers, midgets, that kind of thing. And that's all in Nightmare Alley. And, and uh, there's a quote from the song. It says, "Your hand in, you hand in your ticket and you go watch the geek who immediately walks up to you when he hears you speak. And he says, how does it feel to be such a freak? And I, I didn't realize that the term geek is a sideshow term. You hand in your ticket And you go watch the geek Who immediately walks up to you When he hears you speak And says, how does it feel to Be such a freak And you say, impossible As he hands you a bone And so which I only knew because I'd watched that movie. Yeah. And in the in old sideshows, a geek is kind of like an animal man that 
that does like like eats live chickens and stuff. People pay to see this kind of crazy kind of guy. crazy feral human that eats live chickens. <laughs> uh, and and I never knew that until I watched the movie. And immediately listened to this album. I was like, this song could be about that movie. Uh, it's, it's re- it was really interesting. I really liked this one. Yeah, I think this is a standout. Yeah, to me, I really, really did like this one. It does have kind of the same vibe as many of the other songs, but it feels a little grittier. It's a little, almost a little ominous sound to it. Yeah, it does. It feels, um, it's more dramatic sounding as, as I thought. It's the, just the music. Um, it has kind of a slower tempo, a sinking sound, a dark sound. Um, and I think also the lyrics are better too I think because they feel more targeted to a specific audience the other ones are kind of like he's it's interesting imagery this one feels like he's really trying to say something to a specific group of people or maybe telling a little bit more straightforward story um I don't know I I I I, I, I'm not gonna say that I could tell you exactly what it's about but there, as you went through the song and the chorus verses and so forth, you definitely got, I, I got kind of that cinematic, mm-hmm. it was almost like shots from a movie. Uh, yeah, or, like. Like a storyboard. Yeah, it, 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 it has that where, you know, it, I think it, you know, it starts, I think, where he's in like a bar or something. Yeah. Somebody walks in, he describes oh, yes. who it is. Um, you know, it has that kind of cinematic yeah, thing. Yeah, I think cinematic um, is a great way to describe it. I think it's, I think partially at least what it's about is um, a guy, a man, a guy, the the thin man, I guess, or Mr. Jones. Right, as Mr. He says, Jones. Um, who is educated, he's well educated, but he doesn't really understand the real world. He like he's it's superficial his education and I I I think it and and from what I've read and what I've seen from it that it's about a guy who's well educated superficial superficially but he doesn't understand kind of this rebellious counterculture what's thing going that's on happening. He, he's understand what's going on and I think yeah. it's he's like cuz you know I think he says um um like Things are happening, but you don't. You don't understand. But you don't understand. Yeah. Um, this was one of my favorite songs on the album. Yeah, I think it is. It's probably my, probably my second favorite. I mean, I, I yeah, I, I, I didn't really rank them, but I, you, I can't help but say, you know, like Rolling Stone's probably the best, and then there's two or three that I think are, are right behind it. So from there, we've got Queen Jane, approximately. And again, not really sure what it's about. Um, it seemed to me that he he was talking about a specific woman almost mm-hmm. that that he was narrating about, and that maybe this person, maybe it's someone who's in the limelight, maybe a, a celebrity, maybe a singer, maybe it's someone he knows uh, that he's kind of trying to figure out how for them to to get free of their responsibilities um 
and and there seemed to be a lot of issues with family. So I don't know whether he had yeah. a lot of issues with family. I don't know if it's about someone specific, but I I do think it's about oh it's about a woman character whether that's a stand-in for somebody or not um and i think it's a similar to like a rolling stone um in that it's about someone who's privileged that's what i got from the lyrics but it's a little less aggressive it's not as aggressive i don't think as like rolling stone like how does it feel right kind of aggression right. but it's still about that um and this is to me this is the part where I was like it's kind of getting the same it's very similar to like Rolling Stone musically too I think with the organ, yeah. with the organ and yeah I mean and, and you can get a little or I can get a little tired of that organ pumping in the background all the time and it's the same instrumentation uh, I wondered if maybe this was a song about Dylan having a relationship with another celebrity because, uh, you know, he's kind of asking them to free up some time for him, I got the impression. Uh, so, And I know he had relationships with John Baez and some of the other folk singers at the time. I, 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 I have no idea if that's really what this is about, but I got that was kind of my, my general Won't takeaway. You come see me, Queen Jane. Won't you? See me, Queen Jane. Now when all of the flower ladies want back what they have lent you, and the smell. Uh, then the the title song is next, Highway 61 Revisited, and I'm gonna flat out say I don't like the slide whistle in this. <laughs> Yeah, it it's definitely silly. I mean, that's what a side whistle does. Yeah, um, it takes me completely out of the song. It's a very, it's, it's, and I can see that there might be some whiplash because there's, it it's complete. I mean, the side whistle comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. uh, it is. It's like he's trying to make have quote unquote fun with the song. I kind of respect it, but I just. I just it just doesn't do anything for me. I mean, I I, I actually I think I I mean I respect it for not like it feels like he's not taking himself too seriously, which I can yeah I can respect um and like like the Beatles or something that don't the Beatles I think I think that's what's good about the Beatles too is they don't seem they didn't seem to ever really take themselves too seriously even right. though they were making. Yeah, a lot of times, uh, I mean, obviously in their songs, you, you, the the they'd be jabs at themselves and lyrically about themselves, or kind of that little, air, I don't know, sarcasm. I mean, Dylan does that too, I'm mean, lyrically, uh, but I don't know musically. It felt like that just that to me. Again, it, it made me think. Oh, I don't really want to listen to this song. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a. And this is the song where the album really starts to get samey to me. I, well, I don't think it's that samey because it does have this, it is, it's kind of a, I thought it was kind of a fun song and it's different because it's kind of silly. It's kind of carnival-y. Um, and yeah, I mean, you're right. I mean, it's got that carnival kind of vibe to it. Uh, that, that, I guess that's what the slide whistle does. 
But again, it, it kind of pulled me out, and it ma- really made me not listen to the lyrics very much. I mean, I, I did think um, I like the biblical references. references. I, I don't know um, the biblical references that well, but I I really like how he combines modern, contemporary uh, like vernacular with the Bible characters. Oh, God said to Abraham, kill me a son. Abe said, man, you must be putting me on. God said, no. Abe said, what? God said, you can do what you want, Abe, but uh, next time you see me coming, you better run. Well, Abe said, where do you want this killing done? God said, hold on Highway 61. I, I, I just think that's like really, the juxtaposition is really good. Um, I don't necessarily know what it means, but uh, and but I think but I think it shows. Do you have any? Did you, I don't know if you wrote, wrote down any I examples. Didn't, I didn't write down any. I noticed at the very beginning of the song. Where well, he's that's that's about, what I I put um, down immediately. You notice the biblical references. I wish I had written. down I think some he of says them. like you know he's God, like, God said, said to Abraham, Abraham yeah, uh, kill me a son, and Abraham said, you're putting me on. Or something like so it's it, like i like that uh, lyric and i think it to me i wrote it shows the good side of dylan poetry that is thought inducing not nonsensical um, and, and again maybe if the the music was a little different i would have paid more attention to the lyrics i do remember that first line now yeah, that you've reci- it's, recited it's a very it, memorable because it pops right out to you but it's that slide whistle that does it for me uh um uh i mean yeah and also, I wrote the, the for Highway 61, like what Highway 61 represents. Um, maybe, you know, it's the road that leads through all the drama of man uh, or history of American music. Maybe, um, yeah. I maybe mean, both. that, I think maybe both. Um, if, yeah, because it's very blues, it's very right. it shows, and blues is just, that's the heart of American music. Right, it's true. Um, but, but I don't have much else. But so. this, is, this was the point where I was like, well, this album's kind of long. It is pretty um, long. But the next song brought me back into it. I, I didn't really love Highway 61 Revisited for the reasons I've already stated. The next song, just like Tom Thumb's a Blues, this brought me right back into the album. I really liked the piano and the guitar opening. Uh, it, again, it's a little bit more vibey, kind of just kind of grooving along mm-hmm. compared to the previous song. has a more of a jazzy feel to me. Long harmonica solo in there. Um, mm. This was one of my favorites. So it's, again, it seemed like a travelogue, a little bit. Again, kind of maybe him traveling through his memories of different women that he knew. Okay. Um, it's kind of, uh, and I do have one quote: "When you're lost in the rain in Juarez, when it's Easter time too, and your gravity fails and negativity don't pull you through." And I know he talks about kind of these different scenes with different women in the song. Um, I'm, again, I don't know if it's his relationships or what. But. Now, if you see St. Annie, please tell her thanks a lot. I cannot move. My fingers are all in a knot. 
I just like the overall vibe of this one. Yeah, I, I like this one too. I think I I it was I do think this one's good, but it is it was at the point of the album where I was like a little tired <laughs> or maybe more than a little tired <laughs> right. of the Dylan song. I like if I was like I respect the song, that's good. I, I think the I thought the instrumental really shown in this yeah. one. Um I also thought, <laughs> which this is not really a criticism, but I was like, this I wrote, this could actually be a nice melody if it wasn't Dylan singing. <laughs> but but it has charm, and the lyrics are interesting. But I, I thought the melody was nice. So I was like, I wonder what the melody would sound like if it wasn't Dylan singing. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and most of my notes here are about the music, not about the lyrics. Uh, although, again, you could probably write a book about the lyrics. <laughs> yeah. This is in my top three. This one, um, like Rolling Stone and Ballad of Thin Man, are, are probably my, are my three favorite songs on the album. Um, but I could see what you're saying. I mean, this is the next to the last song. And with all the songs, with the exception of For a Buick 6 being, what, six minutes I long? Think, I think this one is – I wrote that I wrote that this one was too long maybe, and it was – it's five and I wrote five and a half minutes, but they're all like over five minutes. Yeah, a lot. And I think the album as a whole is like fifty-two minutes. Is the whole album? Well, in the next song, the final song, "Desolation Row," is over eleven minutes long. Yeah, it's over eleven minutes. It's really long. <laughs> and this is the one, as I mentioned, that's all acoustic. I believe this was actually recorded separately from the rest of the songs, um, and. To me, I probably a lot of people would 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 be like Dylan. Huge Dylan fans would probably be like, "This is a tour to you know to force." <laughs> yeah. To me, it's a little too much Dylan. <laughs> it's it's long. I mean, it felt like he. It's like I. Th- it feels like for some of the other ones, he writes lots of lots of lyrics, long poems, and then maybe he cuts them down. Maybe to make a song. It feels like this one. He just didn't cut it. He yeah. just. And it is just the same thing for the whole time. I don't think it's more of the same. Right. I mean, uh, I, I put that it's, it, to me, it seems like a commentary on the state of the U.S. at the time. There's references to lynchings, riot squads, and, um, et cetera. And there's a line, they're selling postcards of the hanging, which is a reference to lynchings. And the riot squads are restless. They need somewhere to go. I'm sure all the political turmoil that was happening. But to me, it was too long. It was too repetitive. It's a long-form poem. It's, yeah. It's... I, I I wrote uh, that it was an epic. Yeah, uh, it's, of... it's the Odyssey. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not quite as long. <laughs> but I wrote that it's an epic about this desolate place full of odd characters. Desolation room. Cinderella, she seems so easy. It takes one to know one, she smiles and puts her hands in her back pocket. Betty Davis style. And in comes Romeo, he's moaning. You belong to me, I believe. 
Someone says you're in the wrong place, my friend. You'd better leave. And the only sound that's left after the ambulance is gone. Um, I like there are biblical characters there again. I wrote Cain and Abel. There, he was showing Cain and Abel. There's fictional characters yep. like Cinderella. Yep. And there are historical characters like Nero. Um, and I don't know. It's like this kind of carnival. Des- I mean, he calls it Desolation Row. It's this right. row of kind of desolate carnival thing of all these people and characters. And I, I don't really know what it's about. But, yeah, I uh, made the same note. You've got Shakespeare with Ophelia. You've got fairy tales with Cinderella, legends and pop culture. He mentions Robin Hood, Betty oh, Davis, yeah. Einstein. <laughs> uh, I put, I'm guessing these are stand ins for things that are happening at the time, or they somehow are the way he visually or, or lyrically uh, is representing the current state of the U.S. I don't really, I mean, I, probably if we sat down and went through it line by line. You know, yeah. we could dissect it and and translate it into, oh, this is what this is about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that this point, I was kind of not really willing to do that. Yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. to me. It was the same thing over and over again. You'd, you'd get those long verses and chorus, and then it would just start all over again, and then it would mm-hmm. just start all over again. I mean, yeah, I think that's what really the whole album is. I mean, the whole album is. I mean, obviously, it's exaggerated here because it's so long right but the other songs are like that too and i think a lot of the songs it, it, like i can see why dylan is not isn't the most accessible he's good no. i think it's good for a certain mood it's a groove live it's good but it's not like i'm i'm not gonna pop this on and listen to it I, yeah i'm not gonna pop desolation row on i, I probably won't pop like, most of these songs. let's let's I, jam out like, to this while i'm cooking dinner no i would put i mean like rolling stone is one you can like you know you can listen to um and and maybe some other ones i i don't know do, what do you have like that one's I mean, again, the one like that's the, i mean like rolling stone is the song that you can put on almost at any point yeah because it's got a good melody the lyrics are good. You can sing along with it. It's a, it's a good pop song. Yeah. Um, the rest of these I wouldn't say are great pop songs. I mean, you've got some good blues songs. You've got kind of the jazzy feel. Again, my other two favorites are um, uh, uh, Ballad of Thin Man yeah. and uh, Just Like Tom Thumb's Blues. But, um, oh, sorry, no, I mean, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Just Like Tom Thumb's Blues. Uh but again, I don't know if I would put those on, you know, yeah. in most kind of casual environments. You know, I might put it on if I'm just really wanting to chill, to be kind of contemplative. Yeah. And get my headphones on, maybe laying in bed. Or I have listened to these things on a plane sometimes. It's nighttime and, all right, I just want to put something on and just kind of meld mm-hmm. into it. Uh, but... It's you have yeah. to actively listen. I don't, yeah, and I don't think casual listening shouldn't be the be all and no, no. But I don't know, and maybe, and I feel like, like now I'm thinking of it in comparison, to kind of movies, a, a different medium, where I'm like, I for some re- like 
for some reason, I will think of a movie that isn't, you know, maybe a more arty movie, a movie that you don't, aren't going to just pop on, but I'm like, oh, I can respect that, and I rate it really highly. But for music, for some reason, I'm not as uh, forgiving, I guess, in that way, where I'm like, (laughs) well, when would I listen to it? It's good. I respect it a lot, but maybe I don't rate it as high because I don't listen to it as much. I, I, I don't know. I don't know why. But I mean, uh, and we've, we've used this term quite a bit, the greatest hits artist. I don't really think Dylan's a greatest hits artist, but I do think he's a he's kind of a playlist artist maybe. Okay. You know, where you yeah. pick maybe. And, and the, the playlist can't be too long. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it can't be too long. It, you know, you'd be like, okay, I'm going to pick 10 songs max and – and maybe I could listen to those 10 songs. And there could be 20 other songs of his that I love, but I'm not going to put them on the playlist because it's too much Dylan. And he has so many yeah. albums. I mean, the dude's still making albums today. Yeah. I don't... I admit that the most of the times that I listen to Dylan, I just put on the greatest hits yeah. and listen to it for a while and then and stop then, listening yeah. to it. Um, and I kind of do the same thing with the playlist that I've made. I put them on... If I'm not in the mood for one particular song, I just skip to the next one. Um, again, I yes, respect the album. Um, is it a casual listen? Oh, hey, let's pop on Highway 6. No, no. it's not. you got to be totally in the mood. Or you want to debate it. You want to talk about it. Yeah. I think it could be. <laughs> I think like Rolling Stone being the first song. Can maybe reel people in. Yeah, maybe you're that. Like, was, oh, the maybe rest of the that album was, is gonna be like this. Maybe that was the plan. Maybe we're gonna put. But also, I think if you're a fan of Dylan, you like these songs. But yeah, I don't know. To me, I have to. You know, you have to be in a mood. Yeah. But I honestly don't know any huge Dylan fans. I don't know anybody who Dylan is their favorite artist, um, and that you know I've talked about Dylan with. You know, like you might, uh, someone you know, you know, someone who loves the Beatles, or you know, someone who loves the Rolling Stones, or whoever. Um, I don't know anybody who's like Dylan is is God. Yeah. I, I mean, there are there definitely. are people. I just don't know any of. Them. <laughs> yeah, you know, we we saw them live. There were people there. <laughs> That's true. That were big. That's Dylan, true. You're right. Fans. <laughs> yes, you're right. But I think the demographic is definitely old. Yeah. For big Dylan fans, I I don't I don't think there are many young people that are like getting into Dylan now. Yeah, I doubt um, it. Unless they're taking a music history class, and, and even if they are, like I, I've you know obviously I've listened to Dylan, but I'm not like getting into Dylan. Right. I I know a lot of his songs. I know some things about him or whatever, but I'm not like really getting into Dylan where he's now my favorite. Where that's all you listen to is just that's, Dylan. I mean, yeah, it was instead of Dylan it was Paul Simon, which you right. already mentioned. Because I Paul Simon's more accessible. He's more accessible. He but I still think he has very interesting lyrics, but he has more interesting he, melodies. Right. And, well and I think therein lies maybe the discussion of the um the early influences. I, I mean, I, I, I don't know as much about Dylan as I do about Paul Simon, but I would imagine that Dylan was into folk music. He was into, you know, when growing up, maybe the blues, folk music, Woody Guthrie, people like that. And Paul Simon grew up in New York City, and he was listening to 
doo-wop and, you know, yeah. that kind of music, which was definitely more melody-driven, pop-driven. Yeah. I mean, I, Obviously, yeah. he was part of the folk scene, too, but even the folk music that he and um, Art Garfunkel did very different. Very different from Dylan. <laughs> More pop folk. But, right. But, I mean, yeah, I, it's hard. Like Again, you can't. Dylan is so influential, possibly you, the most influential <laughs> yeah. musician, modern musician ever. So, I, I, you know, you have to respect him. Right. And I understand why he's so praised and why he's so important. But so I don't in in summary, much. let's so let's wrap this it's, up. Yeah. You know, for me, I've got like four, five, or six bullet points. Okay. It's all about the lyrics. I mean, I, I think that's a given. To me, it's kind of word jazz. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's, it, you do need to hear these lyrics spoken. Um, I didn't look up a, a whole lot about the lyrics and stuff beforehand because I just kind of wanted to listen to them. Uh, but you, we've already said you've got to actively listen to Dylan. Uh, there's not a lot of hooks. There's not a lot of easy melodies. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Dylan at his most Dylan, is what I put down. Yeah, I don't know if this is considered his like greatest album or what is. I've I, heard, I honestly don't. know I either. think maybe Blood on the Tracks is or Blonde on Blonde is or I don't know. I put this is probably blasphemy, but I found the long harmonica solos a little grating, <laughs> uh, which I know a lot of. Again, Dylan with the harmonica around his neck. I, I didn't find it as interesting musically, with the exception of maybe three or four songs. Um, again, the lyrics are what makes this interesting, with the exception of Like a Rolling Stone, which has got a mm-hmm. great melody. I'm giving it an eight and a half. Wow. That's a high rating. Um, again, I, a lot of it might just be pure, mm-hmm. it's pure respect for the artist. Yeah, it, it's hard. I I think this time I get, I wrote I wrote an initial rating and I and I, I call it initial before we talk because a lot of times I change how I feel after I talk about it. Um, uh, in my initial rating, because I want I, this time I wanted to be a little more harsh on like I don't listen to this. I probably <laughs> right. I probably won't listen to this yeah. very much. It'd probably be a long time before I listen to the album again and so the i rated this a six and a half (laughs) initially that was my initial rating yeah and i'm considering raising it because i think i was considered maybe i'll give it a seven yeah some seven have something like that but i was like i don't i don't know when i'll listen to it i and i like i but i'm like it has like rolling stone on it that's such a good song the lyrics are so good it's really hard for me to find the balance yeah i mean and i'm I am not going to lie. I know that my rating is being influenced by the historical importance of Dylan. Yeah. And And what I know is the historical importance of this album. If I were going purely on my entertainment listening, it'd probably be a seven. I think think this time I'm I'm just going to stick by my guns. I don't think I would recommend this to that many people. Yeah, I, that's um, true. And I not that it isn't relevant or something. I I, I think it's maybe more it's more relevant now than ever. Right. But uh, and the lyrics or he's the voice of the people and whatever. If someone but, were to come to me and say, 
Oh, what what? I've never listened to Bob Dylan. What should I listen to? I'd say greatest hits. Well, I'd say greatest hits because I would say it's it's worth. I I mean I think if you really want to, it's worth listening to albums, but also you'll probably enjoy the greatest hits. Album. Right, that's what I mean. It's like if you really want, uh, if you want to just hear. Bob Dylan and be like, okay, this gives you a great sample of his music. You would listen to the greatest hits or, you know, Apple Essentials or whatever. Yeah. Um, you know, but if you want to make, okay, you want one solid piece of artwork. I mean, this is probably up there with Blonde on Blonde or uh, Blood on the Tracks, you know, so the other albums that people say. Um, personally, I think um, the song with, uh, was it Nashville Skyline, which is his quote unquote country album? That's a more enjoyable record, even though it's country, and that's the <laughs> one where he doesn't sound like Bob Dylan either. Oh, it's, it's the got one Lay where he Lady does Lay the on it. Voice. You know, yeah. He, uh, that's probably a way more accessible album than this. Yeah, for I most mean, people, it but, has like Rolling Stone. That is the Dylan song. I think he's maybe said it was his greatest song that he's written. It's probably if you're gonna listen to one Dylan song, it's that yeah, song. Yeah, that's the song. But I don't know. I I think I think <laughs> I think I'll try to be more like uh, I understand. Well, and I, that's I think it's good, uh, you know, for us to kind of define why we're giving these the what, what we are. I I think I there's a difference between something being good and you not personally liking right, it. Right, I agree. And I recognize that this is a great album. I just, it's just not something just that not, I really Well, I mean, it's kind of so. going back to the our, the very first album that we reviewed, which was uh, Queen. Queen. And again, I know it was getting nostalgia points. Yeah. You know, so I think as long as we are saying, okay, I gave this an eight and a half because I know it has historical importance and, you know, that's how I kind of judged this particular album on a personal entertainment value, I probably would have given it a seven yeah uh, you know and you're going with well no personal entertainment value six and a half yeah i mean that's how reviews work that is how reviews i mean work. that's what i mean it's that's why number values can be kind of yeah yeah uh, but uh, you know i if if someone were to say to me should i listen to this album i'd say yeah give it a listen it may not be your cup of tea you may find yourself nodding off through <laughs> desolation row yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but but it's definitely worth a listen. Listen to Bob Dylan, love him or hate him. That's your decision. Yep. Okay. You ready to take a break? We will take a break, and we'll be back to talk about um, a patch of blue. A patch of blue. All right. We'll be right back. The movie we watched for 1965 was a movie called A Patch of Blue. 
Simon, can you tell us a little bit about the movie? Yes. Um, uh, the movie was directed by Guy Green. Uh, it's an adaptation of a book, actually. Um, the book is called Be Ready with Bells and Drums by Elizabeth Cata. Um, uh, it follows a very, like a one-sentence plot summary is it follows the friendship and relationship between an educated black man and an uneducated blind white girl. Um, a poster for the movie describes uh, it as a man, a girl, captives in their own worlds, finding escape in each other. Um, it stars Sidney Poitier, Elizabeth Hartman, Shelley Winters, and Wallace Ford. Um, also, Shelley Winters won an Oscar for this role for uh, Best Supporting Actress. Um, and a couple other interesting tidbits. Um, the scenes of Poitiers and Hartman kissing were removed from the film when shown in the southern U.S. Yeah, I, did. I read that too. Um, and um, which is something I noted immediately was Guy Green specifically chose black and white when color was available, um, which is actually the first note that I wrote was black and white is definitely a conscious choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I wonder, I mean, obviously it gives it a, an, an air of seriousness. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if it also is a way to, I don't know, maybe make Sidney Poitier I, I, I mean, a, a not stand out as much visually? I don't know. I, I don't I know. Think, I think black and white, I mean, yeah, I, I think it, it does make things feel more serious in a way. It's obviously, it makes it more about uh, light and contrast. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You're um, right. Uh, but, like, just visually, but, um, and I, even just, just the words, black right. and white. Right, yeah, um, that's true. Black, you're right, yeah, black and white. Makes you're right. You're right. <laughs> I didn't even think about that, the, the real basicness of black and white. You're right. Um, I mean, I liked the movie quite a bit. I'd never heard of this movie, which surprised me because it's an Oscar-winning film. I mean, uh, Shelley Winters won an Oscar for this. I think the other actress was nominated for I think it was, it was nominated for other awards. I didn't write this down. It was nominated for, like, Things like set design and other things, and the the lead actress was nominated, which I believe at the time was the she was the youngest actress yes, to be nominated for lead actress. Um, I don't know if Poitier was was nominated or not. I don't think he um, was. I mean, the thing that stands out to me is just how cool Sidney Poitier is. I mean, and cool I don't think is even the right yeah. word. He's suave. He's sophisticated. He's yeah. smooth. But he doesn't come off as snooty. He's he's. The, I, I wouldn't describe his, him or his character as cool. He's not he's, he's not a stereotypical no, cool character. No. But he's he's, uh, he's not he's cool because he's not trying to be cool. May I help you? What? What's that? You seem to have a problem. Anything I can do? There's a, a crawly thing down my back and I can't reach it. No. I got it. Oh, I, I, it's a... It's a caterpillar. 
And he seems just as frightened as you are. Oh, thank you. Sir. Right, yeah, there's just something natural. And, you know, he, he if you met him, a, a person like this character, and I, I get the sense that maybe that's Ponte is probably a lot like this character in the sense that he's educated, he's comfortable with himself. Um, I don't know, you, you would feel comfortable around him. Yeah, he feels like such a genuine person. Yeah, that's probably the best and way to put he, it. And he really he's he really feels like he's never putting on an act. No. It doesn't seem like. And a, again, a great smile. The dude had, yeah, a, great had a great smile. smile. Um so just in general, you know, it with the black and white too, kind of a almost like a realism film, you know, uh, Italian yeah. realism or French realism or mm-hmm. whatever. It's a message film for sure. Uh, but then it had some of these odd fantasy sequences, daydream sequences where the girl could suddenly see. Yeah, yeah. That was that was interesting. It, it's yeah, it's it's almost a slice of life. It's yeah. not it's not a you know, it's it's a very simple story. Right. Um and uh, whether it's a romance or not, I think it's debatable. Yeah, um, I think it is debatable. I think it might be a a one-way romance. It's definitely at least one way. Yeah, and I think I think it probably is a one way. At least that that's how I, I think see the it. Poitier character pro- does feel beginning. for her something beyond just friendship. But he's a realist. He he knows that it wouldn't. It's not going to work out. It's not. It can't happen at that that time in history. And, and his brother is obviously. Yeah. What are you doing? What are you nuts? I. I I definitely know that his brother definitely kind of represents uh maybe the real in some way even more real. He he his brother's kind of the more a stereotypical black American. Yeah. than his, than Sidney Poitier. At least to me. He's he's obviously still well educated, I think. Right. He, yeah, he's, I think like, he's a physician. He's he's yeah, so but he he's more like what are you doing? Yeah, those guys. You know, he he's he's the one who kind of mentions because in the movie there isn't a lot of direct, uh, uh like social things or racism no. happening. But he's the one who kind of mentions more of the serious things that are happening the, the, in right. the world. Hey, bro, what goes on here? Hi, what happened? A hospital burned down or something? Whip, man. I just dropped in for a shower and some sack time. What's with little orphan Annie out there? She says she's a friend of yours. Yeah, that's right. Since when? I never saw her before. Since a few days. Where'd she come from, this, uh... Selena. Well, thanks. Where'd you meet her? In a park. In the... Oh, man! (laughs) You picking up chicks in the park now? Knock it off. That kid's blind. Oh. Yeah, I thought there was something a bit off-center, but I still don't get it. It's very simple. She's blind and she needs help. She's just a friend. Very touching. And you gotta be out of your mind. The most you're likely to get out of this is a kick in the pants. Why don't you go take a shower and cool off? Even though it's it's obviously there and it's underlying the whole movie. But... And, I mean, it's an interesting, again, for the time period, 1965, there's two black characters, Sidney Poitier and his brother. They're both professionals, obviously. They're both educated. 
Um, you know, it's not probably what most people would see of African American characters in the movies of the time, and obviously that was a distinct choice. Um, I, I guess again for those that haven't seen it, uh, the main character, and I can't remember what her name is. Um, I wrote it down. I. Th- She's blind. She's basically been raised by her mom and grandfather, uneducated, not sent to school, nothing. And, you know, her mom is this horrible shrew of a woman um, played by, um, uh, what's her name? Um, Shelly. Shelly Winters. Yeah. Uh, And basically she convinces her grandfather to take her, set her in the park during the day and she has this job where she strings beads on necklaces mm-hmm. and Sidney Poitier comes along and they, they bump into each other and they build a friendship. That's, that's kind of the, the plot of the movie. Um, the, um, I found the scenes between Sidney Poitier and the main character just really pleasant and likable and fun. Like when they go shopping and, yeah. and obviously she's not been exposed to kind of, normal everyday food that we would consider normal everyday food uh, and he can't believe it and he obviously yeah. likes this kind of mentor role oh here taste the pineapple taste this taste Argus, that chili beef minestrone clam chowder tomato chicken gumbo turkey noodle uh kangaroo tail vichyssoise <laughs> vegetable or just plain pea Kangaroo tail sounds interesting. Kangaroo tail? <laughs> I bet you it tastes interesting too. <laughs> oh, alrighty. Surprise! Ice cream section. Strawberry, chocolate, vanilla, and all sorts of fruit flavors. Did they have pineapple? Pineapple? Pineapple. Pineapple sherbet. You want that? Yeah, so. it's, it's not easy to at do. least the beginning is kind of like a rom-com. Yeah. And that's what I like it's about it. It's the fish it. out of water kind of stuff, um, too. Yeah, like the going, I specifically wrote the the grocery scene as a very rom-com scene. Because <laughs> yeah. that ha- seems to happen a lot of rom-coms where they're in a grocery store and yeah. kind of doing something silly. And then people are kind of glaring people are, at them. People are like, what are they doing? And it's something like every like everyone wishes that they could do. Right. But nobody, but nothing, does, nobody, but nobody really does, does that. that. No one really sits the and person it on the cart and It wouldn't be around. as fun, really, in real <laughs> yeah. life. But in movies, it's really fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it, I think he has that kind of... Where I, he might even see her as like a daughter almost or, or someone like that where it's a younger parent and child right. or it's not he doesn't see it as romantic it, not at the beginning at for least sure. not at the beginning and I don't really think so even at the end maybe but at some of the editing I really liked I, I, yeah. I there was the I got down to there's this scene where he says do you like corned beef yeah and there's a quick cut to eating the corned beef and she's like I love corned beef. <laughs> and then there's yeah. the scene when they're doing the beads Most together. Most of us take too much for granted. Now, the next thing, I want you to tell me when we get to the delicatessen. How will I know? I think you'll know. It's here someplace, ain't it? Right. I thought so. 
whatever they're cooking, it sure smells good. They make great corned beef sandwiches here. You like corned beef? I love corned beef. Mm. Still hot, too. As you There's like a rhythm of putting the beads on back and forth. Um, just just the, the way the film was made. But then uh, it does get dark, kind of. I mean, it's a relatively, sh I can't remember, it wasn't a super long movie. Um, they talk about, you know, she gets raped. I mean, there's, yeah. there's just, I mean, it gets, it does get dark. Um, yeah, the, the, the kind of cuts, like, they're kind of like dialogue match cuts. Yeah. Where, and they, it does it multiple times. It's right. It's not just that one time. I, there's, I wrote, I wrote down that one, but he does it when he, He's when she's she's at home and asks, I think the grandpa, "Do I look okay?" And then it and then it cuts to Sydney Poitier saying that oh, she does look, look at the part. Yeah. So like, um, it does it a lot, which I thought was really interesting. It's kind of weird in some way that it it kind of takes you out, but also it's 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 it is it's interesting. It's visually interesting, yeah. and I, I like it a lot. <laughs> oh. Here they are. Thank you. You're welcome. Do I look okay? You look lovely. Oh, I never heard you coming. I hope you've been working hard today. It's almost yeah, like a jump cut kind of uh, it, approach, but yeah, I, I think I think. <laughs> I think dialogue match cut. It, it, it matches the dialogue, <laughs> and you don't. It takes you a little second to realize it's a different scene. Yeah, um, I kind of liked that part of it. I did like it. Um, you know, tonally, it was kind of at times all over the place. Like I said, it the you know the first part of the movie, rom commy, um, you know these dialogue cuts, kind of lighthearted. And then, you know, she's back at her house, and her mom is horrible. Mm -hmm. And I don't think today, if someone did a performance like Shelley Winters did, that they would win an Oscar for that. It's it's over the top to me. Her, her, her I don't know, crassness and the way she, it's, it's big. It's a huge, big performance. Yeah. Amongst these relatively small, quiet performances, Sidney Poitier's is a quiet performance. The main character, woman, it's a pretty quiet performance. And then Shelley Winters is just chewing the scenery like like nobody's <laughs> business. And she wins an Oscar for it. I mean, I I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know about whether she'd win an Oscar. But yeah, I, I don't I I didn't think too much about it. I think I think it's fine and I think it fit I mean I think it fits the movie and it fits the time period like the time the movie was made where it doesn't to me it didn't feel like really out of place or I'm like oh she's really over the top and everyone else is not to me but uh I, I mean and the way she and her dad fight and they're screaming yeah. I mean maybe that's uh how things were in poor parts of New York City uh, I I don't know uh to me it just seemed like oh wow this is Almost like a stereotype of a lower class family. Um, yeah. When they're trying not to stereotype the African American character, uh, it, it just and I wouldn't say it took me out of the movie, but it was very noticeable. 
um, the, the performance that she was giving. Uh, whereas I found the other performances a little bit more natural. Yeah, maybe. Was, yeah, yeah. I think I think that I mean, yeah, I think that might be true. The, I the 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 kind of there there are a lot of nice moments that I think are really like well written. Where, like, um, at the beginning, how she has to clean up the beads on the yeah. floor, and I'm like, that's such a good because it's so much more punishing for her because she can't see it. <laughs> right. So it's like all these little beads all over the floor. It's already hard to do that. It's like very. It's like a. It's like a like a Sisyphus kind of <laughs> yeah. torture where like some something really weird and minute but you yeah. have to do it and it's like really annoying and it just takes a lot of time uh, and I was like that's that's really good and and the she has like a quite a dark backstory that this I thought was a little over the top yeah <laughs> where it's similar to the um Hitchcock movie with his backstory with the his oh, brother that what yeah. movie is that yeah that was um, uh, spellbound spellbound where his brother dies, dies. on the thing this it's like they're having a fight, and sh- the mom throws a bottle, and it misses the guy and hits her. And blinds her. It w- was when I was five. One night, after I was in bed, Harry, that's my father, he come home unexpected. He was in a war or something. Just a minute. Just a minute. Roseanne, that's my mother. She had one of her friends in. Harry, he got mad and he sliced up Roseanne's friend to a mush. Then Roseanne threw the bottle. And blinds her. It's like, I can't remember what it was, but uh, it's like she got acid in her eyes or something. It's like, Because what? of the fight. Well, and then the fact that um, the mom's basically going to prostitute her out, you know. Yeah. You know, they're going to move to another building because they realize, she and her friend realize, well, because her mom's a prostitute, and she and her friend are prostitutes, but they're getting old. And so they're like, well, we can't do this any longer. Um, but my daughter, <laughs> you know, she could do it. Prime, prime age. We're gonna to move to a new place. I mean, and that spurs the whole climax of the movie, uh, and and Sidney Poitier trying, you know, getting her out and going to a school and whatnot. Uh, but um, it 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 it's a good movie. I I did really enjoy the movie, and I think the reason I enjoyed it was because of the two main characters' performances. Um, there were aspects of the filmmaking that I liked, you know, the editing, uh, some of the dialogue. The the I obvious I, I liked the more lighthearted parts of the movie, than, yeah. than the hard drama parts of the movie, uh, but I don't. You had to have some conflict. I mean, you, you couldn't just have two people happy go lucky. They happen to be a blind white woman and a black guy. I mean, it wouldn't have been there. Wouldn't have been any movie there. Uh, you had to have the drama with the mom. Um, I mean, but I I did like the movie quite a bit. Yeah, I I did like it quite a bit. It, I thought it was interesting that it was the the plot was simple but engaging, um, with some obviously some social commentary, right? Um, some not so subtle symbolism, obviously. I mean, she's blind, right? So love she, is blind. Love is blind. Um, 
And no, but also like no one is really racist except one part at the near the end when her mom is yeah, racist. Yeah, her mom is racist. Her mom, and maybe her grandma pa is racist. I too. can't. I don't yeah, remember. I mean there, someone doesn't someone sees the the daughter with Sydney Poitier and tells the mom. I think right, and um, she event she eventually confronts the two of them. And you know, says some racist things, and then, but then, interesting. Everyone who's in the park, they react negatively towards the mom instead yeah. of this black man with this young white woman. I don't know how realistic that is. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it depends maybe where where they are, and I don't know where it's set. Yeah, I but, just kind of assumed it was New York City, but uh, I, I could be wrong. I don't know. I mean, obviously. The mid- it's a time. Yeah, uh, a lot of things are happening. Uh, progress is being made, but right. also. I mean, it's not, a message. Uh, it is a message film. Um, but, you know, like you said, it's got a pretty straightforward metaphor. Love is blind. Goodness is basic. A basic human instinct for most people. Um, there was one thing that I wasn't a hundred percent sure of the importance of, you know, because he had given her. A music, the music box, box that his mom gave her, I, him, I believe. And then, you know, when she gets, uh, when she leaves to go to the school, he doesn't get a chance to give her the music box. You know, he runs out to give it to her, but the bus is gone already. I don't really know what that's supposed to show. Yeah, that was, um, I wrote that down too. The, the end was interesting on, he runs after, but then doesn't catch get there. So um, yeah, I put. Well, does this mean that it shows that their relationship wasn't meant to be? That it's suggesting a black man would with a white woman is just too taboo, you know? Since that he didn't get a chance to to say, oh, here's you know my gift to you, kind of thing. I, I don't know what it meant, but they made a big point about showing the fact that he didn't. That she left and he didn't get to give her this gift. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it means. Maybe it's, I don't know where she's going. I was like, maybe. She was going to like a school for the blind. I mean, she's going to a school. I don't know if it was like more and more optimistic ending in that, oh, he now has another chance to see her because he's going to give, he has to go and see her to give her the thing. Or maybe. Um, Or, but I I don't know. I think that's, I mean, that's a very optimistic. I mean, it could be that, well. She's off to a better life, and she doesn't need this talisman anymore. I mean, maybe it's kind of the opposite, uh, where now the talisman is a memory of her. For, for him. him. Yeah, maybe. I, I don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, and it, to me, it's kind of, I kind of read it as they never see each other. Yeah, yet. me too. That's kind of what I read it as, was that this relationship was done now she was going off to school she's supposed to be what 18 she's i think she's 18 and so she's going to learn to read and write you know and he's to live on her own he's he's an adult professional man um he's got his own life to lead he yeah. did his good deed in a way you know yeah and they should they're just going to lead separate happy lives yeah i mean it's like before sunrise or something yeah where i'm like that's the end they don't get back together they never see each other again i know in before sunrise there's other movies where they do see each (laughs) other again but i 
in my head canon, right. they never see each other again. Well, and that is a point there, too, because I have that, as I recall, the movie just ends then. Yeah, the movie just ends. He, um, he runs out there, doesn't get the music box to her, goes back up to his room, movie over, the end. Yeah, that's the end. Movie over the end, which I think is, which is probably good. What else would you say? I mean, what else would you say? Also, I, I think it's it's kind of a a new wavy way of yeah, ending. Yeah, just boom, it's the a, end. It, like, and I, I think I mean French, at least French new wave movies definitely have that. I think is a trait that is that people that is notable, and that a lot of the movies end with. There's not a lot of closure. It kind of just right. Ends. Yeah, and and. I think that is definitely true here, as we've already debated. Well, does he see her again? Does he not? Do they do they need to see each other again? I mean, I think there's there's more closure in it than other French New Wave movies, but like than French New Wave, some French New Wave movies. But but I also yeah, I think it's kind of good in that it's this kind of open ended ending. Um, I mean. Yeah, I have other things I could say. Yeah, go ahead. I don't don't need to say, like, I don't want to just go through everything that I wrote, but um, some specific moments that I liked a lot um, were, and some things I thought were interesting was there's those quite stylized moments with the cuts. Right. But there are a lot of moments, or there's some moments of kind of just stillness. Where it's just her cleaning the house, which yeah. I thought was interesting. I was like, okay, you have this kind of these these moments where it's just her doing something mon- kind of mundane. And there's and if, as I recall, there's I mean, there's not a lot of sound effects. Yeah, I did make a note that I liked the music score. Um, that there it added an air of innocence. It was kind of a light score, if I recall, kind of. Um, affectionate music at times around those two main characters. Is west from here. So which way do we go? That, that way. <laughs> Good. We're on the path. Turn right. Now, it's smooth sailing. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah. I, I, I don't remember the score. It's been a long time since you watched the <laughs> yeah. movie now. But uh, I think it probably is. It's nice, kind of sentimental. Sen- yeah, um, sentimental is probably a good one. Um, another scene that, that's really important, I think, is when near the middle of the movie when um, uh, she tells a story about her black friend that she had as a kid. Oh, that's right. Um, which I think is a very important part because at this point she doesn't know that Sidney Poitier is black. And I don't think. And she tells this story of her as a kid where she had a friend that was black and... She obviously didn't know. She didn't know, and her mom uh, didn't let her see her again or whatever. Um, and obviously, that's a big moment. You know, it's this kind of dramatic irony for her. Right. Sidney Poitier is like, oh, I can't. What do I do? Because I don't know. Does he ever come out and say, 
I'm a black man. She realizes it. She realizes it. I don't remember how she realizes it. I don't remember either. There's that point where she's kind of professing her love for him. And he's and, like, and he's like, no, you can't. You know, there's things that you don't know or don't understand. And she's like, I don't care that you. And then, yeah, she says, black. I, I know you're, you're a Negro or whatever. I and don't, I, can't remember what. And term I don't they care use. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's obviously a really important moment. Yeah, I know that was definitely very important. What was your name? It's Pearl. Well, that suits her. I, I had a friend called Pearl once. Hmm. She used to come up to the room and, and play with me. We had a lot of fun together. Me and Pearl, we was great buddies. Not anymore? Nah. Roseanne, she put a stop to that. What for? She came home early one day and raised hell. What were you up to? Mm, nothing much. She got mad because Pearl was colored. You know, black. She said I could never have a black friend. Did you ask her why? <laughs> when Roseanne gets going, you don't bother about why. You just keep out of the way. Pity Pearl was Another colored. moment that I thought was important was when she... Anyhow, that kind of goes against expectations, is that when she decides to go, which I thought was going to happen, is she goes to the park alone. Right. Uh, which So she tries to get there alone, and she fails. She, she doesn't fails. make it. Yeah. Which I thought was was good. I was like, okay, she tries and fails, at least the first time. And I don't think she actually tries again. Um, I don't think... I don't think she gets there on no. her own. Um, yeah, I mean, because in, in, in a more Hollywood movie, maybe, she'd get there and there'd be the, oh, you got here all by yourself kind of scene. Yeah. But instead, she immediately is confused. Yeah. And overwhelmed with the sounds and loses track of where she is and finally somebody helps her. Yeah, I think Yeah, I think it's good that I mean, but it even though she fails, it's still progress. Yes, that she was willing to give it a shot. Um I mean, and it shows, you know, she's getting more confident. Yeah. Um there's some Yeah, there there was there's I mean, the um the, I mean, it gets, what we said before, it gets dark. There's a rape scene. Yeah. And that is what I, I wrote that the POV, it's shot in POV, which I was like, that's very effective. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a very effective POV. And it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very sad. Like, she's, she's a very sad character because right. she doesn't, um, and something that she says, I don't have like the quote, but after that scene, um, she says that, um, how she thought Roseanne, which is her mom, um, had a good time with her lovers, but doesn't now. She doesn't think she does now, <laughs> yeah. which is like such a sad thing because yeah. that, that's all she knows. Well, and she even says something to Sidney Poitier when she's descri- telling this this uh, this experience. And she's like, oh, yeah, I've been had or something like yeah. that. You know, I'm not an innocent. I know, and and she almost kind of blames herself for it. Yeah, I mean, it it it, it you, which I think is realistic. Yeah, it's realistic. I she's just such a so like for I mean for a lot of different things she just doesn't she's ignorant. Yeah, but in a very unfortunate way. Yeah, she, obviously, you, I still got the sense that she generally felt 
like that the world was still good. Yeah, it was. She's this good person. Yeah, that is still there despite despite all these horrible, horrible things, things that happen to her, her, and she just thinks this is what life is like. Yeah, normally. and she's just accepted it. Uh, but until yeah. I mean, until she meets Sidney Poitier, and then she kind of her eyes are kind of opened, so to speak. To yeah, oh, she, people, there's actually people that can kind of care for me, and and there's a wider world, and oh, I could. You mean I could learn to read? Yeah, like she starts to stand up for herself a yeah. little more. Um, and yeah, and uh, what another what the last moment that I have, and then I have some uh, quotes, some vocabulary that I thought was funny. Um, the uh, when um, Roseanne and the grandpa start fighting and it, yeah. it just gets crazy. It escalates. They are like breaking the everything in the house. <laughs> yeah. Like that I can see is a little over the top, but like they, it's just, it's destructive. They're yeah. like destroying their house, like throwing things, breaking bottles, glass, plates, everything. everything. Yeah. You stay out of this one, you stupid old drunk. Who you calling stupid? Why, you three buck broad, you? <laughs> Okay, you black-hearted bitch, if you want to fight. You filthy old bum! And I'm going to kill you all years! I never saw such a filthy old bum! Oh, my own father! Five years, 45 is more like it. And you look every bit of 45. He's getting broken, and then, like, it's kind of funny is that the neighbors come in. They're, like, Italians. Yeah. And they start yelling and fight. Immediately, the Italians start fighting, but then Roseanne and Old Paul, like, kind of immediately join sides. Right. That's exactly. To fight against the Italians yeah. that came in. The neighbors come and they suddenly their their fight's over. They're like, stop sticking your nose in our business, and then they're <laughs> yeah. allies, and then they just want to have a drink together. And now they're like, okay, that's it. We we let out our. <laughs> yeah. And, the and they just start and laughing. Then the Italians start fighting each other. Right. I'm like, it is crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. um, but and then, I think maybe we should end this with some vocabulary. Yeah, what's the vocabulary? Um, that I thought was, or lines I thought were kind of funny. Um, like how uh, Sidney Poitier calls grocery shopping marketing. Oh, yeah. Which I thought was, we I was go like, marketing. that sounds so, I, I I thought that, I thought at first I was like, what, it, like he's doing sales? <laughs> but then I was like, oh, he's grocery shopping. I got to do my marketing. I've never heard it. I mean, either. But mar- he says marketing. And also somebody said, because I wrote down, I'm doing the Watusi. Somebody they mentioned Watusi. They Dancing. They mentioned the Watusi specifically. <laughs> I don't remember. That. Which I thought was funny because I always think of the Batusi. The Batusi. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone says a shower and some sack time. I think probably Taking the mom said that. Yeah, I, just I think she probably. It's just did. these little phrases, and this was kind of weird. Is there's a point near the end where, like, a kid delivers a message. Oh, to, yeah. Is it to Sidney Poitier or is it to her? I can't remember. It's the, is I it, think it's to her. It's the kid, son of the – isn't it the son or daughter of the uh, the bead guy? I think. 
and to say, oh, my dad can't be here today. Yeah, it's but like that's like I mean, it's not that weird. They don't have a way to communicate. And they don't have a phone. They don't even have a phone. But yeah. um, I I thought it was funny because he says he says he says his message, but then he goes to leave and he goes, I almost goofed. He says, I almost goofed. Oh, I forgot to tell you this. I almost goofed. I thought that was just like, did people actually say that? I, I must have. Goofed, you goofed. I goofed. <laughs> I'm going to send a message to you next time I need to tell you something. Yeah, just send, <laughs> send some somewhere. random kid. <laughs> just say, hey, kid, can you deliver? Hey, can you deliver? Here's a quarter. <laughs> Uh, I mean, so I mean, those are interesting notes. I, 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 I remember the marketing, but I don't remember the sack time. Sack time. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, in summary, I did like the movie, uh, even with all the domestic violence and the, the rape scene and stuff. It still kind of came across as a sweet movie. Uh, yeah, generally, I, think it is. Uh, I liked it. I gave it a seven and a half. Um, you know, I, it's it's is it a perfect movie? No, it's definitely has some some things of its time. You know, mm-hmm. it's not overly subtle in any way, shape, or form. But it's definitely an enjoyable movie to watch. I mean, if you're in the mood for, I wouldn't say a lighthearted movie because it's not necessarily no, I, lighthearted. I, um, I don't know. I I think it's one to watch if you're interested in Sydney Poitier. Yeah, Sydney Poitier, or just. Um, movies and, made around yeah, I mean, and that movies time. that are kind of of that civil rights era. Yeah. I mean, and I haven't seen a lot of Sidney Poitier movies. No, I haven't. I I don't know if I have. I think this might have been the first one that I've seen. Um, but I gave this one uh, an eight out of ten. Um, it's actually like I I think it is kind of similar to. Um, a streetcar named Desire, and like in the kind of domestic violence, <laughs> yeah. And That's they're poor. Kind of, they're kind of they're poor, yeah. Lower class, right? Problems. Um, it's not obviously there's no racial component, right? But it it kind of reminded me just maybe how the set is and how how kind of violent it can just, be. Just kind of casual. Um, or it's like Marlon Brando's like very quiet kind of for a lot of the movie but then at times he's goes crazy he's going crazy and he's slapping <laughs> yeah. people and he's yelling and stuff um but yeah i mean i think it's i think it it's was good. good i think I, it's good i, liked it. I it think was... i like how there was kind of different parts it's like oh there's a rom-com here and there's yeah i, I like more it of too. a drama and, here and like i said it was it was the two main characters that that I that made me enjoy the movie the most. I mean, that's the that's the heart of the movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the whole that's the whole thing. That's the whole movie. Um, and uh, lastly, the title is interesting. I didn't know what the title meant at first. I was like, "What does that mean?" But I understand that what it's supposed to mean is a patch of blue sky. Yeah. I was like, "What is the patch of food?" I can't remember if they do. They actually um, say that when they're in the park. I, I don't know. I didn't write down that they did. But there is a part where it storms, right? Which obviously storms, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's good. I think it's worth watching. I think it fits the time, um, and I think this movie and this album 
fit the time. Right, I agree. I think it, they were they were a good pairing. Uh, you know, I we could have easily gone with something not socially conscious the from sound a movie perspective, uh, but. Uh, I think it was a good. This was a good pairing between the two, the album and the movie, uh, and I think we we both enjoyed in general the the album and the movie. Yeah. Even though you know we didn't give Dylan a ten out of ten or anything. Well, you rated it pretty high. I, I didn't rate it that high. <laughs> All right. So um, what we will do is I've got the random number generator up, and we will look for the next year. The next year is 2021. Yeah. I've actually been <laughs> waiting to get like a really modern year <laughs> yeah. because I kind of I want to listen to modern music. <laughs> not because not because I like love modern music, uh but because I think it'll have some more some more interesting conversations. Yeah, it, it will be cuz I mean, I think uh with Listening to movies, music of the '60s and the '70s. Yeah, we've done some more recent than that. Generally, we we agree. I could see where we might get a little bit more conflict. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe not. And, and there's a lot of great movies. Yeah. That so watch. we'll take a break uh, while we uh, decide which movie and album from 2021, and we will be right back. Would you hurt yourself? No, I'm doing the walk to see. I almost goofed. Papa said he- and we're back. Uh, again, the next year that the random number generator came up with for us is the year 2021. Uh, obviously our most recent year. Uh, and yeah. for the album, we decided on Billie Eilish's album, Happier Than Ever. Yes. And for the movie, we decided on Licorice Pizza. So these are... Two blind choices. We don't know. Neither one of us have really listened to Billie Eilish, and uh, we've neither one of us has seen Licorice Pizza. I don't know a whole lot about that filmmaker either. So it should be an interesting conversation. Yeah. And we will see you back here yeah. at the next episode of Reasons and Revolutions. Dylan. Yeah. Dylan. Dylan, I'm going to do it. Okay. All right. We talked about Dylan for like almost an hour.